Oh, hello, friends. Welcome back to Modern Wisdom. My guest today is none other than Titania McGrath creator and current king of Twitter, Andrew Doyle. In between him flitting down to London to go on Sky News to talk about serious political stuff and going up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival to do not only his own show, but the Titania McGrath live show, I managed to grab him and put him on the couch in my house and ask him loads of questions. So get ready for loads of questions to the man behind probably one of the most infamous satirical accounts on all of Twitter. Uh, If you don't know what I'm talking about, then it's totally fine because we're going to explain it to you today. Also, expect to learn what Andrew thinks about Little Mix commenting on the incidents in Syria, uh, why Donald Trump might be one of the greatest comedians on the planet, how Britain's hate speech laws are something that we all should be really concerned about, uh, and what is the most oppressive vegetable, and are cats feminists, and are dogs prejudice? Uh, we're really really hitting the hard topics today. Uh, but honestly, I, I was in stitches for almost all of this episode. Andrew's a fantastic comedian, incredibly insightful, and just a lovely guy. He also took me out for a drink after uh, his show when I went to Edinburgh on Tuesday. So thank you for the drink. Thank you for your time, Andrew. You are an absolute legend. Ladies and gentlemen, the creator of Titania McGrath, Mr. Andrew Doyle. Twitter cracks and crumbles at our feet as the man behind Titania McGrath, Andrew Doyle, joins me on Modern Wisdom. Andrew, welcome to the show. Such a dramatic opening. I know. Yeah, it's almost apocalyptic. I like it. It's kind of appropriate though, right? Uh, well, I don't know. Like a deus ex machina, I've sort of descended from the heavens. That's exactly why you're here. Yeah, I just got the train. It's not, it's not, as, <laughs> it's not as exciting. Yeah, like a phoenix from the ashes. Yeah. So, how have you been the last few weeks? I'm alright, I'm just a bit knackered, because I was out with a friend late last night, really late. Yeah, but fully um, functioning. I'm alright. He was over from Sweden, so I didn't have a choice, I had to see him. <laughs> um, but, yeah I'm, uh, yeah, I'm good, but I've been all over the place, I've been back and forth various places. I'm not a good traveller, I get really tired, so okay. I, I'm just, yeah. So if I'm a bit frazzled, that's why. Totally fine. And that's good, because that means anything I say that's inappropriate, I can blame on my condition, Fatigue. yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, so you're fringing plus Londoning and musing and tweeting and doing all this sort of stuff at the moment? Yeah. So I've got the Titania McGrath show is on uh, during the fringe at the moment, but I'm not there most of the time. Um, but I've got my own stand up show, which starts on Monday. <laughs> right. And you've got to look after yourself and look after her and then somehow look after your online personas as well. Yeah, I'm sort of juggling a few things, you know. Yeah, you know it's like, we're all busy, everyone's busy. <laughs> not, <laughs> not everyone's quite as busy as you, but yeah. Well, no, it's never that. I know. Um, so, can you explain why we're sat here talking about a fictional female character and you juggling Twitter accounts? Um, because you invited me, which is very <laughs> nice. Um, but also because, well, in other words, how have I ended up doing this as a job? Yeah. I, I, am, I do ask myself that question. Um, I... Started the character last year, last April, so sort of about 15 months ago or something. And um, more just for my own uh, entertainment. Uh, and I wanted to sort of annoy some people on Twitter, basically. And um, it, Without it, it being you. Without it being me, yeah. I, I was interested. I love I love the idea of inhabiting a persona. I always like being behind someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like... Uh, I don't, I, like Even with the stand-up I do, it's a character, really. It's not mm-hmm. really me. So I, I like the idea of that distance that you get. Um, 
But I also thought I was a big fan of like the satirical accounts on Twitter that the, the, the personas, you know, people like the Godfrey Elfwick account um, and uh, things like that. And I was really into the idea. So I thought I'd do it myself. And I spoke to Lisa Graves, who co-wrote the Godfrey Elfwick account about mm. it. She's based quite near here. She's based in Hull, actually. Okay. And I spoke to her about um, about her work with the Godfrey Elfwick thing. And I said, oh, you know, I've always wanted to do this. And she said, you should just do it. And encouraged me to do it. She even created the uh, picture for me. Did she? Yeah. And um, nice. and then uh, so I just I just went with it. When did you start the account? April. Yeah. April this year. Last April like, last year. Twenty eighteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's yeah. like eighteen. Just yeah, and th- and then and then she got banned so often early on. Like my whole point of it was that I was just gonna, like first I decided she was going to be a slam poet. She was going to be intersectional feminist, all of that stuff. Yeah. She was going to be massively contradictory, but just completely offended by absolutely everything. <laughs> Uh, really privileged, really obviously privileged, but not recognizing her own privilege because you wanted to be a victim. It's all the kind of stuff that we recognize. And then um, I also made that decision early on. I wasn't going to self-censor at all. I think one of the real problems with comedy at the moment is people are, are hedging their bets. They're worried about what they're saying mm-hmm. uh, because they want to be successful. That makes complete sense. Um, I thought, well, I'm not. No one knows this is me. I can say anything. Some of the early tweets were really vile, actually. And, um, <laughs> were really um, just just sometimes just provocative for its own sake yeah um and you won't see them anymore because i had to d- delete them all um oh no but what would happen is i get i got a couple of one day bans then i got a seven day ban then i got another seven day ban um and i thought well you know the, and then at one point it must have been around september something like that i don't know she got a permanent ban so yeah. twitter said they emailed saying you were permanently suspended you can't come back. And then there was a big uproar on Twitter, all these sort of prominent people complaining to Twitter. Yeah. And then Twitter brought her back again. Because there's a provision on Twitter for satirical accounts. Yeah, of course. Right? Like yeah. a protection kind of thing. If as long as you as long as it's apparent that it is, yeah. you can kind of get away with more. Right. So their rule is if you if you've got a parody account, which is a specific mocking of another person, you have to put parody in your bio. Okay. This isn't a parody account; it's a satire account. I'm not. I'm not parodying a particular person. Oh, okay, yeah, that's interesting. So um, I'm, and people often don't understand that difference between satire yeah. and parody. So it's a different thing. I'm, but there is provision that Twitter, ostensibly in their rules, say that's okay. You should be allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they found some of the language and some of the imagery, I suppose, a bit unpleasant, and then completely banned her. Uh, or they took it literally. I don't know. Can, can you remember what the tweet was that was the full ban? What the full it? ban was I'd been, uh, she was saying that she was going to a UKIP march to punch people in the name of tolerance. And that was all it was. <laughs> and I imagine that was probably just incitement to violence, maybe? I, don't I guess know. so, yeah. Didn't you incite violence against yourself last night? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Are you following me on Twitter then? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I did. Because I, I, I can't remember what I did now. I was drunk. What was it? So, I'll tell you. Okay. <clears throat> the Titania account retweeted your show flyer. That's it. And said, um, this imposter is doing a show in the same uh, place as me immediately after me yeah. at Edinburgh. Um, go see it. Bring milkshakes. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course it is. And then you tweeted that saying, can I incite violence against myself? Yeah. And then she replied to that. I didn't see that one. Oh, yeah. I was, I was asleep. I, th- I, started, I think you probably should have been asleep. I started asleep, having I a conversation with myself. Um, <laughs> we, all, we all do that, Andrew. It's fine. I know. I did that at the time before people knew it was me. I had like... Would you call her out about... No, she called me out on something. So I, 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 I was on Sky News and I, I put out a tweet, a clip of it. 
And she quote tweeted it saying, look at this disgusting straight white male um, doing this thing. And then I argued back and I pretended that I didn't realise it was satire. Okay, so I, as if it was I, a real person. I argued back saying, oh, look, this is really out, out of order. And then loads of people started going to me saying, this is satire, mate. I can't believe you fell for it. You idiot. <laughs> you utter dickhead. It was really funny. And I kept saying, well, it wasn't obviously a joke. And I, so I argued back at them. I was There's just having so a, many layers it's just fun. that are being built in here. So when it was very, very first new, yeah. did you find it quite cathartic? Yeah, having exactly. Having that outlet. Exactly. You could just, I just said whatever I want. I still do. Like, this is the problem is that I, I haven't learned my lesson really. I, I, I just say whatever I want now. The difference is now, if I offend people, they come at me. Deal with the consequences. Yeah, so they all come at me and I get, I get the sort of dogpiling on Twitter, which I didn't have before because people didn't know who it was. Lovely anonymity um, previously. Yeah. Uh, so I would have preferred to still be anonymous, to be honest. So how did we get from you being this woke social justice warrior, alter ego yeah. person to you now being both Bruce Wayne and Batman and everyone knowing the, the, the truth? That was, okay, so it's a bit of a complicated one. The book was, um, the book came out in March. Woke, link will be in the show notes below. Yeah, please buy that. That's the only reason I'm here. And um, the the book came out in March and then... Rosamond Irwin from the Sunday Times okay. wrote an article in the Sunday Times and what she did it was actually a really impressive piece of investigative journalism what she'd done is she'd read my book she'd read um, my articles for Spikes Online she'd worked out that there were some quotations that were similar and some thematic similarities and then she decided she so she said I'm 50% certain it's Andrew Doyle or it could be Lisa Graves who ran the Godfrey Elfwick account and there was a picture of me and there was a picture of Lisa so she pretty much some, um, narrowed it down to two. Uh-huh. Lisa had also painted the portrait of Titania that appears on the book inside cover, uh-huh. but she's credited. So Rosamond Irwin was saying, this seems a bit obvious if she's named. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was a really good uh, piece of journalism. Um, she'd phoned friends of mine. She'd, uh, yeah, I found out about this afterwards. She'd, she'd, uh, Motherfucker. I know, I know. It's proper journalism, isn't it? Um, That's like, that's like forensic literary yeah. assessment. Of a Twitter character. It's quite funny. Um, and then... Um, Unbelievable. Good for her, honestly. And then... But the smoking gun came because Chortle, fact, Steve Bennett at Chortle, I don't know how he did it. There was a, a, a catalogue at a book fair in Frankfurt, which had been issued by the publishers. And someone in the publishing house hadn't realised that I was to remain anonymous and mm. put my name next to the next to the book. But this was dating months before the book was released. So I don't know. I don't know to this day how he got it. I don't, but I must ask him one day. I think it's really interesting. It's really impressive. Uh, it's impressive. What yeah. was it? So there would, must have been a day or a moment when you woke up and went, fuck, the game's up. Well, yeah. Well, when I read the Sunday Times thing, I thought it'd be quite funny. I interviewed Lisa Graves, mm-hmm. accusing her of being Titan McGrath <laughs> as myself. You sold them a dummy. So then I published that interview. Um... But I never denied it was me. I was very careful with my wording. I've never denied it. Mm. I didn't even deny it to Rosamond Unwin from the Times. Mm. I, 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 you know, there was something about the phrasing when she emailed me and I emailed back. I just, I made sure very that, particular. that I wasn't lying. Yeah. Um, and then, um, but then when the chortle thing came out, I thought, well, because I'd already turned down, I'd been offered interviews and things. They'd gone to the PR person at the, at the publisher saying, could we interview whoever is behind Titania mm-hmm. as him or her? Yeah. And I'd refused those. And then, so when this came out, I thought I may as well do all these interviews now. Just double down on it. And that's when I did the Piers Morgan stuff and all the interviews and things. Because actually, it happened the week the book was out. Mm-hmm. It really boosted it. It, I was, bet it. it was hugely helpful. 
to the extent that it looks like I calculate the whole thing. But I'm not that Machiavellian. I just, like things just happen like that. Yeah, they do. You know? Serendipity works weirdly like that. I yeah. Guess. So <clears throat> let's say that someone hasn't seen the Titania account. Okay. How would you describe it? I would describe it as uh, the kind of social justice activist who uh, is very humorless, uh, is desperate to be offended, desperate to promote her own victimhood, um, and is not necessarily stupid, but is uh, but is has swallowed this ideology wholesale to the extent that they, 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 they're stopping able to think for themselves. Mm. And it's like any ideology, isn't it? If you just follow up an ideology without, without questioning any of its tenets, mm-hmm. you end up basically mindless. You end up just like a zombie, like a kind of religious zealot. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to... So I'm not saying... A lot, of the, a lot of the smartest people I know have bought into this cult of identity politics and they end up saying really, really stupid things. It's, I saw it the other day, actually. I was reading the New Yorker review of the new Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's a guy in the New Yorker who is obviously extremely bright. Obviously. Uh, but the review in the review, he says genuinely stupid things because he's, he's seeing it through the prism of identity politics. He actually says at one point, it's a ridiculously white film, which is not a serious criticism you can level at a film. You know, it's 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 really dumb. They did it with Dunkirk when Dunkirk came out, the Christopher Nolan film. And more than one critic, three or four, made the point that, uh, oh, the representation of people of colour, there's not sufficient representation. It's like, if that's all you can do, if you watch that film and that's all you come out with, how many boxes is it ticking? Yeah. You know, if that's all you can come up with, then to be honest, you're not really a critic at all. No. You're, you're just an ideologue. Mm. Um, you know, artists don't make choices on the basis of representation and what they feel they're feeding out to society in that way. Real artists don't. Yeah. They care about the work and the integrity of the work. Um, and the, and also this latest film by Tarantino, so much of the coverage has been his treatment of women. You know, the fact that Sharon Tate in the film doesn't speak very often. Mm. This is the man who produced Death Proof, which is an overtly feminist film, as far as I can see. Kill Bill. Kill Bill, both parts. Jackie Brown, which is his best film, uh, which is uh, an incredible um um, characterization of this of this let uh, you know older middle-aged black woman mm-hmm. in, in america pam greer is fantastic in that film and he you know he sort of brought her back to the public public consciousness the idea that he's he's not he's not great at the representation of women is 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 absurd actually i think part of it is to, it, it started with the hateful eight didn't it because there was the treatment of the daisy domagoo character was so violent that mm-hmm. she'd be continually punched um, but he hates all his characters. Mark Commode pointed this out. He has complete contempt for all of his characters. Yeah. He doesn't care about no them. No one cares. No one has care for No. Him. You're totally right. So, like, why are we, why are we seeing artworks through... It just means you, you can't, you can't... You're not judging things on their own merits anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a real shame, actually. Yeah, I agree. One of the things that's interesting... So, for me, I'm not massively political. I'm a red-blooded capitalist and have worked for myself as a sovereign individual since I was like 18. Okay. So my um, exposure to the world of politics is very, very uh, <clears throat> focused on myself. Yeah. Uh, my vote, if I was to vote, which I haven't in any of... I've never voted once. Really? In, no, never once as an educated guy. I've always been away on holiday Outrageous. or busy with work or doing whatever it is. But if I was to vote, one of the first things that would come up would be, how does this affect my interests? Okay, okay. And there was You're a, a capitalist. Fine. Yeah. So you are political. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um, you tweeted an article, which I read earlier on, which has really broken down a lot of the things I wish that I could understand. Uh, Bridget Fetessy. Yeah. Um, and it's called The Battle Cry of the Politically Homeless. And what she says is that 
people who don't have extremist views on either sides of yeah. the spectrum or people who just aren't bothered about politics kind of get lambasted as being these wasteful, what is it, a conservative? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and a, a waste of a vote. And then on top of that, anyone who is but is moderate, yeah. anyone who has a slightly nuanced view, yeah. just gets sort of thrown to the wayside. And I think that with... Titania, what you're identifying is that the people who are at the absolute extremes, yeah, exactly. that's, it is funny for that reason, that people can identify, most people, the vast majority of people, yeah. can't identify with them at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, um, I only read that article this morning. I think it's a great article. Amazing. She's brilliant. She's an American comic uh, who has had a lot of flack for just being honest about her opinions. Uh, and her opinions, as far as I can say, are not particularly controversial, you know. Um, nevertheless, um, yeah, she's talking about that idea that, there's an expectation now that you should be politicised. Taylor Swift got, do you remember she got so much flack for not condemning Trump? You know, and it's like Taylor Swift's silence is deafening. It's like, I don't need to know Taylor Swift's opinion on politics, <laughs> I'm not frankly. i to Taylor Swift for political advice. It's like yeah. when Little Mix tweeted about the bombing of Syria. <laughs> they sent an apology saying, to, oh, we're so sorry to the people of Syria. I bet the people of Syria were thinking, great, thank God, at least Little Mix have got our back. Well, I don't give a, Look, I'm not saying these people shouldn't have a, the right to have an opinion. Of course they do. But I don't give a shit what, what little mix think about Syria. Yeah. That's not their, le- that's not their expertise, is it? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, so there's this expectation. But also what, what Bridget's talking about in that article is the way in which um, actually, because if you express an honest opinion and then you get this kind of barrage of hatred off the back of it, it means that people are becoming nervous about just being honest. So you, the, the, the discourse is dominated by the extremes. So you have the, the woke left who, who are really myopic and just uh, cannot see beyond their own very narrow sort of parameters. And if you step outside that, particularly if you come from the left like I do, and you step outside it just a little bit, you are the most, you're the persona known grata. You're the, you're the one they attack. Pushed straight down the yeah, hill. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and so people who have moderate views... People who just want to have a discussion about some of these difficult issues, they want to address the nuance of, say, the trans debate. Um, they will just be uh, lambasted as bigots. Because the big irony of this is these people don't know what the word bigot means. I mean, the definition of bigot is someone who is incapable or, or completely intolerant of anyone else's opinion, someone who has a different opinion. Mm. But they, the people, so nine times out of ten, anyone who calls you a bigot is normally the bigot. <laughs> Because what they're saying is your opinion shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Uh, it shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't have to, it shouldn't be tolerated. So, yeah, it's a real problem. Bridget's been on the receiving end of it. Um, a lot of us have now. And of course, what happens as well is if you express an opinion that isn't within that Overton window of acceptable thought, um, people just say, well, you're being dishonest. You're being a provocateur. You're being a shock jock. Because it's a kind of narcissistic worldview that I can't believe that someone else would have a different view than me. Therefore, this must be a lie. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, my, 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 I suppose my guiding principle, uh, is just to tell the truth, say what I think. Yes. Uh, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, if everyone did that, can you imagine? We'd be, well, in a, we'd be in a much better position, wouldn't we? Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, Jordan Peterson, who is a, a fan favorite of the show, um, he, his first rule, tell the truth or at least do not lie. He makes the point in his book about this, actually, that it's actually very self-destructive to be dishonest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I read that, it really chimed with me. I think that's absolutely right. The, the, you're hurting yourself yeah. if, you, if you're dishonest. Um, and he also makes the point that absolutely there are times when lying is actually the compassionate thing to do. Mm. Right. Fine. 
Um, but actually, there's a way to do just evading the truth. As in, you don't have to lies of it. omission, not lies of commission. Yeah, yeah. If if it's for a compassionate reason, yeah. that make that makes sense to me. Um, but I think when it comes to just expressing your opinions and views, it's all about respecting people enough to tell them the truth. As in, I I, I can respect you. I can say something that I think you might disagree with because I respect you enough as a human being not to that I assume you're not going to start throwing things and call me a Nazi, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have a debate and you're going to have a discussion. Yeah. It's actually really disrespectful to say what you think the popular viewpoint is uh, just for the sake of other people's uh, um, sensibilities. Mm. That's actually very disrespectful to them because you're patronising them. Mm-hmm. You're infantilising them. You're saying that you wouldn't be able to cope with dissent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a bit like being at school. You know, when you're at school, like it's a particular thing with boys at school is that you won't say an opinion unless you're sure everyone else agrees right yeah. right uh, and sometimes you'll you'll you this happened to me all the time you must have happened to you like when you were a kid and someone said something and everyone was like oh no we don't think that do we yeah. no and then it's like oh no i didn't mean that I, yeah. Uh, yeah i actually saw a stand-up doing a bit about this this year where he's talking about he when when a, a situation arises in the news and he he offers an opinion a bit too early when it's not formed and then he's like oh no can i take that back right yeah. and which is what teenagers do. This isn't a teenage act, by the way, but it, but that's what teenagers do. And it's that thing of, well, actually, we'd all be better off being honest. It'd be, it, it, we'd know who we were voting for. We'd know what people think and we'd know where we stand. Mm-hmm. We'd have our views challenged. There's all sorts of reasons uh, why honesty is a good thing. But no matter how many times I say that, it doesn't matter. People just say, yeah, you're lying. You're, you're just lying because you want to cause trouble or whatever. And, and that's really sad. I know. Anyone who wants to read a very good short book on lying, Sam Harris's lying, one hour. Okay. One hour read. read and it is a one hour justification for why you should never lie. Yeah. Um, and it's absolutely great. Highly, highly recommended. Will be linked in the show notes below. But I get it. I keep getting messages from people saying, I really like what you're doing. I can't tweet about it. Honestly, I, I had one the other day from quite a prominent actor saying, I really, really like, I, he saw the show actually, said, I really like the Titania show, I can't tweet about it because I can't be bothered with the backlash. I don't want to face the backlash. Mm. So I sympathise with that. Why should there, but, you know, why should there be a backlash for expressing an opinion? Well, she, uh, Bridget mentions in the article, which is the, the best way I've seen to put it, that um, people aren't voting out of habit or for their own interests. It's now a comment on your personal identity right. and it, worth. Quite. So let's take the Brexit vote, where the, the media reduced it to... Leave equals bad, uh, remain equals good. Not just the media, but sort of the people in the sort of very middle class circle. That, that's how they reduced it. Leave equals racist, remain <laughs> equals... Compassionate. Yeah, and non-racist. Yeah. Okay? It's a lie that everyone bought into. It's pathetic. Um, and it's... The, it's Have we still re- left? Well, we haven't left. Uh, well, it's, okay. that, it's, that, it's that reductive thing yeah. of reducing actually a very complicated, nuanced political question to an easy uh, shortcut. You know, Why do you think that people are doing that at the moment? Why are people reducing down difficult discussions to these real tweet length? There's a good psychological reason. There's a thing called the cognitive miser model, which means that you you instinctively uh, try and find the easiest train of thought. Your mind that you'll you'll always go for the easiest. It actually takes a bit of effort uh, to think about things. Um, if if you've got this situation, for instance, with the Brexit vote, and you can just say, well, that side's good and that side's evil. Well, it's easy. It's an easy choice to make. Otherwise, you have to start understanding the issues it's a whole lot harder <laughs> i get that um and it, yeah it's started it's happening a lot it happened with trump uh it's happening now with with uh with boris johnson so there's going to be it's the same thing again it's are you a good person and this is why the polls never work anymore this is why no one predicted trump 
No one predicted Brexit. It never works because people have their opinions. They have they have two sets of opinions. Got they've got the opinions that they actually feel, mm. and they've got the opinions that they know they can express in public, <laughs> right? And those two are no longer the same. Yes. It used to be the case that they were the same. I remember talking to an old trade unionist about this. He was saying that you know we used to be able to talk to like some of the miners and everything uh, about, and they would be really homophobic. They'd say like uh, you know they hate fags and all this sort of. They wouldn't use fags. They'd say queers back then when they were faggots. Mm. Mm. Um, but you know, but they were right on all these other issues. And rather than bulk at that and say, oh, well, you're obviously a fascist. I won't talk to you about anything. Mm. Uh, this guy was saying, well, what I'd say to them is, well, okay, you're right about these social issues and these economic issues. So can we now talk about your issues about sexuality? And and and, and then it became a discussion, and then people changed their minds. Mm-hmm. And that was the that's a great thing to happen, right? Mm. But now, if say, for instance, you've got one opinion that is not acceptable, say you are. Uh, anti-abortion right so that for for many leftists is like one of the the sins cardinal sins right so if you're in that then then suddenly we we write off you we write you off completely yeah so even if we agree on other things it doesn't matter anymore you're now the bad person you're now an evil person um it's really unsophisticated yeah it is and and it's and it's perfectly this is why i end up agreeing with people who on the whole i can't i don't agree on with on anything Mm -hmm. um and for instance um Let's take the free speech question, you know? So I am not a nationalist. I would never vote UKIP on the basis that it's a nationalist party and I'm not nationalist. So fundamentally, I I don't have anything in common with them. Um, But they're right about free speech, right? So they they, they recognise that there's a problem with free speech. The Labour Party and the Tory Party are both against free speech. Both of them are for hate speech laws, for instance. Uh, the Labour Party want to push uh, more press regulation, if at all possible. Uh, Theresa May is one of the worst when it comes to free speech. I mean, she uh, she sent uh, she denied Tyler the Creator ent- entrance to the UK on the basis of a rap he'd done, right? Which was great because then he did an anti Theresa May rap, which sounds really surreal. People forget about that, but that did that did actually happen. I didn't dream that. Um, so when you've got the two major parties who are anti free speech, you, you've got to be able to say. This other party that I have nothing in common with, that actually I can't really stand, mm. um, I, I am, they are right about that. But you say that and then all of a sudden, oh, you're a UKIP supporter. Ah. No, I'm not. I haven't voted like never this would. tiny little sliver. They're correct of, about that. Of what they're saying. And no then... one gets to own principles, right? So a principle is either right or it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you should be able to say, I, I don't approve of anything that person says or does, but on that they're right. Mm. Because they don't own the principle. There's no more room for nuance or no, subtlety in, in discussions now. So <clears throat> the thing that keeps coming back to me, and again, I'm I'm probably a good avatar for the lay person when it comes to seeing these things, right? Because yeah. I'm not embroiled in them, and it's it's good not, for you. I know it must feel like it would be heaven for you, right? But yeah. <clears throat> um, looking from the outside in, yeah, people who are getting upset at the mm. fact that you're making comedy at these situations to me, yeah. that is potentially the most shocking thing of all. Because Armando Iannucci must be itching at his scripts to have a go at Brexit and Boris Johnson with another season of The Thick of It. And there must be, you know, there must, it is I think, the... I think he said he could never do The Thick of It again. There was an article a couple of years ago because of, because he says things have got too surreal. Well, yeah, yeah. there we go. But yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like, to me, it looks like the perfect breeding ground. The current political climate is the perfect breeding ground for some comedy and some satire. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's it's ideal. Um, people often say that to me. It's like, isn't it hard to satirize? Like people like Trump, who who is self satirizing. The funniest things said about Trump are by himself, right? <laughs> They're on his Twitter yeah, feed. Yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, um, two days ago with the uh, Talib, you know, the, the thing about Rashida Talib, who um, 
who'd right. So, sorry, I'm talking politics again, but she'd she'd asked um, to go to Israel to visit her 90 year old grandmother on humanitarian grounds, and Israel had denied her entry because she was likely to criticise the Israeli government. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, she said in a letter, I won't mention, I won't criticize you. I just want to see my grandmother. Mm. They came back saying, okay. And then she was like, oh, this is disgusting. I'm not going there because they're demanding that I say certain things. It was a total political move. But then Trump tweeted about it saying, well, the only winner in this situation is her grandmother who won't have to see it. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's a funny tweet. Now, look, I don't support Trump. And I'm also kind of, I'm old fashioned about policy. I don't want my politician to be funny. Yeah. I want them to be serious because it's a serious job. Yeah. But I can look at that and say, that's funny. I can look at that and say, that's a funny tweet. He has a point, even though I don't like most of what he stands for. Wish I'd written it. Yeah, there we go. That's not that good. Yeah. But it's, but it, but it's, yeah. it's funnier because it's the president. Yeah. There is something funny about the idea of the president of the United States calling Kim Jong-un fat. That's funny because it should never happen. <laughs> It's also scary because Terrifying. they're both nuclear powers. <laughs> you know, so yeah. the, the stakes are pretty both high. Both of them have got a button. Yeah, stake, well, yeah, stakes are pretty high there. Um, so again, I should reiterate, I'm not supportive of it. I wish he didn't do it. Yeah. But I also look at it and laugh. What are you going to do? <laughs> Laughter's an involuntary response, isn't it? I don't calculate like like the woke set seem to be able to do. Yeah. I mean, the, the woke idea is that you, you look, you hear a joke, you think about it, you assess who are the marginalised groups. Is it punching up? Is it punching down? Uh, can I laugh at that? Yes, good. Emit laughter. <laughs> they see it as this kind of transaction, right? That's not how it works. Sometimes I laugh at the most horrible, inappropriate things because they are horrible and inappropriate. Because yeah. that sort of stuff reminds us why we don't talk about those things. You go and see a Jerry Sadowitz show, you know, and, and good luck watching a Jerry Sadowitz show and not being offended at some point. Yeah, everyone's going to get offended. He's going to offend you at some point. There's going to be a moment where you think, that's, that's too much. You yeah. shouldn't do that. Um, and that's part of There's something quite exhilarating about that. Yeah. You know? You can be offended and laugh at it. Happens to me all the time. I'm quite sensitive. I get offended really easily. But it's my problem. <laughs> it's basically. Yeah, that's funny. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about when seeing the way that we recently had Zuby on the show. Yeah. Um, because of this weird game playing yeah. that the left's done with uh, language and social constructs and things like that. Yeah. To me, what it appears to have allowed are very clever people to game that system. Right. And Zuby's tweet about um, breaking the woman's deadlift record, PSI identified as a woman, don't be a bigot. Yeah. That is a perfect example of re-gaming this, the the little gaps that that have been created by the left in that. Yeah. Is that one of the the things that you think that um, is helping us to identify where there's inconsistencies within their views and stuff like that. I think that. ridicule is what does it best of all. And, yeah. and and part of the way you do that is you take on board their language. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is you find yourself tempted to play their, them by their rules. So when they talk about privilege and all of that, I've seen this happen a lot, when there's an argument about privilege and they often throw out this idea of white privilege, this blanket idea that if you're white, you are inherently privileged, which of course is not true. Uh, some white people are privileged, some aren't, mm-hmm. right? In all sorts of ways. There's all kinds of ways you can be privileged, right? It's not just to do with race, ethnicity and sexuality. Um, but yeah, so you end up with a situation where um, people buy into the victimhood thing and they'll say, Okay, I've been accused of being privileged, so how can I come back and say, actually, no, I, I went to a rough school, I went, grew up on an estate, I did right, right, right. And then you're getting into this competition, you're playing their rules yes. back at them, and that's probably not healthy, mm. you know? You can do it, like, you can... And when they fall foul of their own rules, which they often do, 
right? Did you see the, the Democrat conference in America where someone made a point of personal privilege, yeah? Yeah. And the point of personal privilege was, guys, can you just keep the vo- noise down because I'm very sensitive, I get sensory overload and I get triggered. Then someone said, point of personal privilege, about that point of personal privilege. Uh, don't say guys, that's gendered language. I'm really offended by that. Don't do that. So you have people calling out each other's calling out. It's like this endless inception of wokeness. Yeah. Right? So so we could do that too. So we could, we could we could point out where they are being triggering. I mean, let's let's take an example. Most of the, the woke lot who are really anti-Brexit tend to be incredibly ageist. They're basically saying we can't wait for the old people to die. Old people have <laughs> fucked over the country. They're basically evil. It's like, are you kidding? You're you know, you're the person who goes on all the time about being sensitive and and uh you know and surely what ageism is part of that, isn't it? Or is that just your blind spot? So then if we call them out for ageism, we become part of that game. Yeah. So I sort of refuse to play the game. So that's that's something that I've been I've got written down here as something that I totally can't work out, but you're gonna help me do it. Okay. <clears throat> you may have been in a relationship, but a lot of listeners will have been, where your partner brings up a particular issue and you yeah. don't care about this issue. Okay. That you spoke to that girl or um, you didn't reply in time or you're, you were late or something like that. Yeah. And that's not an issue that you usually would do, but they set a precedent by doing that. Yeah. And then what you find yourself doing next time that something happens that you find them culpable for that same thing for yeah. is you go, hang on a second. Are you talking to that guy? Yeah. I didn't care and I still don't care, but I'm going to use the opportunity to identify your inconsistency okay. yeah, that's fine. straight off the bat. Yeah. And that push and pull yeah. that happens in relationships, I think is very similar to what's happening here. Yeah. And I almost think that looking at the way that the left has kind of adopted this, the way that uh, Andy Noah was assaulted in the street and yeah. they're taking bike lots around and throwing milkshakes at people, you know, that would have been a characteristic of the right previously. Oh, it's absolutely. A very aggressive approach. Right. And it's almost like they're um, absorbing, taking on that persona that push and pull thing. And then you think, well, hang on a second. If you keep on doing that as the left and throwing bike locks around, there are some people on the right who have got very, very large guns. Right. Exactly. Well, there's two, there's two sort of points there. I think, I think one of them is, is well, actually not just the left that do it. Of course, the right do it as well. We saw that with the Joe Brand case, you know, when Joe Brand made the joke about throwing battery acid at Nigel Farage, Mm -hmm. which was obviously a joke, uh, whether you found it funny or not, that's Mm -hmm. irrelevant. Um, but it was mostly people on the right saying she should be arrested for, or she should be investigated by the police. All the same people who complain about the very authoritarian treatment of comedy on the whole, mm-hmm. right? And people who, compl- who say that free speech is under threat. And then all of a sudden, they're the people saying, actually, no, but Joe Brand should be investigated because that's the inciting violence. No, you've got to be consistent in your principles, mm-hmm. either left or right. That's really, really important because it means your own principles will get undermined. Um, but the other point about Antifa, which are the, the, the group, the anti-fascist group. Now, I, for one, mistrust anyone who identifies as anti-fascist. Let's, let me just say that. Because for a start, I assume everyone is, right? My assumption of you will be that you're not a fascist. Yeah? It's a fair <laughs> yeah. assumption, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I will assume that of everyone until I hear extraordinary evidence to the contrary. If I find the evidence, fine. Yeah. But, but we have to, because there's hardly any fascists out there. It's so like the being an anti-dog shagger. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You don't declare that, do you? Yeah. You don't declare that you don't have a predilection to penetrate livestock, do you? <laughs> do you? I don't know. No. And I wouldn't assume that you would have. Yeah. You know, although now we're talking about it, my suspicions. Are, yeah. No, you see, but look, and I see on Twitter all the time, anti-fat, proud anti-fascist. Like, you don't need to tell me that. 
Mm-hmm. And it makes me suspicious, mm-hmm. right? What you're projecting about. Yeah, exactly. It's the same as the the people who, there's a statistic somewhere that Yusuf, one of the co-hosts of the show, has put out. Yeah. People that are very, very sort of vitriolic about um, being against gays yeah. are the ones that are most aroused when they see... Yeah, there's like, been studies gay. into that. Yeah. There's been studies. I mean, they, they literally measured the extent of people's arousal. Yeah. You know, to like how hard they got, basically. Yeah. on the and, and it tended to be when, when the, the most overtly homophobic people watch gay porn it's so it's but it's such a no-brainer of course it is because why would you care yeah why would you care who people Unless have sex there's with there's something lurking in the yeah. back of yeah it's pretty it's, it's you know that, I mean the data's in on that one yeah. um, and it's not surprising um, but the point about Antifa yeah Antifa effectively end up behaving like uh, fascists don't they they end up behaving like that's the, that's the thing that's so funny about it yeah like anyone who seeks to silence someone through violence is is at the very least employing a tactic that the fascists also employed. So, you know, I'd probably stop short, short of calling them actual fascists. I think fascists has a very specific historical mm. meaning, but they're certainly fascistic ten, uh, tendencies or or strategies. Mm. Um, I mean, I read uh, Bre- Mark Bray, I think, Mark Bray's book about Antifa. And what's very interesting, it's very well written, actually. What's interesting about it is he does a very uh, good job of sort of outlining all the history of the anti-fascist movements. Mm. Things like Cable Street, you know, um, uh, what whether the people confronted the Oswald Mosley's brown shirts. So all of that, and that's very good. To, there's a lot of that stuff I didn't know about. It's all very interesting. But of course, those are genuine anti-fascist movements. Mm-hmm. You know, these are, the, you know... Not the, the kiddies version. Right, exactly. So what, what the book fails to do, quite spectacularly, actually, is connect those movements to what is happening now mm-hmm. and makes the assumption that the people we're dealing with are, in fact, fascists. Mm-hmm. But that assumption is wrong. Okay, so some of them are fascists. Some of them are white supremacists, sure, right? Most of them aren't. You saw, you see Trump supporters getting pepper sprayed, people, anyone wearing a MAGA hat getting kicked to the ground. There was right? someone who had a make Bitcoin great again hat that got... Really? Just because they didn't read it properly? Yeah, they couldn't read the word right. Bitcoin instead of... Now, if you can't distinguish between an actual white supremacist and someone who votes Trump, and that isn't to say that white supremacists couldn't vote Trump. They could, and they might do. But just because you vote Trump, it doesn't follow that you're a white supremacist. That will still be a massive minority of the people who voted for Trump, right? So if you can't make that distinction, then you are politically and historically illiterate. And what's worse is if you can't make that distinction and you have that level of illiteracy and you've got a baseball bat and a mask, <laughs> that's a dangerous combination, right? Totally right. You know, I mean, we saw with Andy No, yeah. a bunch of white middle-class students in masks beating up a gay Vietnamese immigrant in, <laughs> in order the name to, of tolerance. In the name of tolerance and to, you know... To stand up against white supremacy. A, Are you titania, joking? It's a Titania tweet. So it's really funny and also horrible. Yeah. It's horrible because... Sorry, Andy. He, well, yeah, he was hurt. He was yeah. injured. It was unjust. Um, what they should have done... Now, obviously, all this stems from an, from an article he wrote or a couple of articles he wrote for Quillette. Mm-hmm. What you do in that case, if you disagree with the journalist, is you go up to them and say, oh, I disagree with this. Can we have a discussion about it? Mm-hmm. That's it. And as soon as you hit someone on the basis of, oh, they are normalizing uh, supremacist language or discourse you you know you over theorize to justify your own violent acts yeah. and it can't be justified mm-hmm. um and it's really really sad that we've got to this point where this is happening is all of this just reaction is it still this big hangover from trump being elected partly i mean i'm sure there's a frustration um about it trump i i suppose was the start of it wasn't it and because people just decided that he was a fascist because they didn't really know what fascist meant. Um, you know, he said a lot of stuff that I find contemptible and a, a lot of stuff that I think you would be hard pushed. I think when he talked about 
Ilan Omar and the squad, you know, and said send them home, or they can get, they should just go home. I mean, three of the four were born in America, they were born in America, and the fourth is a US citizen anyway, right? It's difficult for me to see how that can be interpreted as anything other than a racist trope, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but this does not necessarily mean he's a white supremacist. That's a massive leap mm -hmm. uh, to make. Um, again, I'd need the evidence on it, but yeah, I think, I think that's the problem is that there's a sense of frustration. People were angry. Uh, understandably so, you know, it's not nice to lose, is it? Um, and it's easier if you can then paint everyone who made that thing happen as evil. If you say that everyone who voted for Trump is as deplorable as Hillary Clinton so memorably did, and that worked out really well for her, didn't it? Um, then of course you, you go on the offensive and you end up guaranteeing Trump's victory in 2020. That's what you do. That's what they've done. What would you predict? Well, he's definitely going to win. You reckon? Yeah. I mean, the, well, he's playing a very smart game because he's putting the, the squad, the four Democrat uh, politicians who play identity politics all the time. So Ilan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Ayanna Presley and, and uh, Rashida Tlaib, who are never going to play well with the electorate because they're always going on about grievance and intersectionality and, and white privilege and all that sort of stuff. That doesn't win votes. Never has, never will. Um, and what Trump is doing is he constantly talks about them to make them the face of the Democrat Party. So people like Nancy Pelosi... Giving them enough rope. Yeah. People like Pelosi are hating this. Like, she she, she wants to distance herself from, from these four. Mm. But when you think Democrat, now you think uber-woke, crazy identitarians, right? <coughs> and that's largely because of Trump and because of the way he puts them at, cent at the centre. So it's a smart, tactical move. Um, the Democrats need to distance themselves from this kind of politics. Identity politics never works. And what's so funny why, about why, it... Why doesn't it work? Because it divides everyone up. Mm -hmm. It says, you know, you, you stay in your lane over here. You stay in your lane. We're going we're gonna to really help you. We'll help the Hispanics. We'll help the gays. We'll help the women, you know. With the, and, and everyone else is like, what about us? What about us, you know? And then it becomes competing, mm. uh, com uh, competing interests. Um, you can only win um, an election by unity, by, by saying that we are doing what's best for absolutely everyone. Mm. And because the woke movement is essentially a movement that that rehabilitates racial thinking. It makes us think about race more. It makes us think about sexuality and it makes us uh, aware to the point of discrimination and it, and it, and it separates us all out. Uh, and it, it, it wants to undo the work of the civil rights movements. It wants to undo the work of Martin Luther King. It wants us no longer to, to think about content of character, but to think about color of skin. Uh, so it's a regressive backward movement. Um, it isn't helpful for human rights. It feeds the far right. It helps the far right. The far right is on the rise. They're still thankfully a very fringe group, but they are on the rise because of the woke movement, because of the woke left giving them all the ammunition they need. Mm. Okay. Because if you constantly say that all these working class white people, you're just privileged, all you boys, you're just rapists in waiting. Uh, you know, you've got toxic masculinity. You should be ashamed of yourself, all of this sort of stuff. And then you've got the alt-right white nationalist group saying, well, come come to us then. We're not going to treat you like it that. A, it becomes an almost moderate and attractive exactly. place to be. Exactly. And that's a really terrifying prospect for me. The main reason I attack the woke left is because I'm scared of the, f the rise of the far right. That genuinely frightens me. Um, because whereas the woke left are well-intentioned, on the whole, I think... They're well-intentioned. Mm. They want they want the world to get a place. They're just in a cult, so they can't see the reality of it, right? <laughs> you know, it's like anyone in a cult. They get, they they're believing they believe it, right? It's not evil. They they, they see the world as uh, full of fascists. They see the world as full of injustice, mm. and they want to do something about it. That's a laudable aim. The problem is the world isn't full of fascists, and they just end up hitting people with bite locks <laughs> because they vote the wrong way, right? So yeah. so that's 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 the problem. And what all of that does is generate all of this resentment. And and to it's a gift, it's a boon to the genuine like 
really vile white supremacist alt-right just just repugnant people mm. who can thrive on this stuff what you know that's I mean, as far as i can see the only way to get beyond that is to is to is to take down the woke left to make it okay to mock them again to to to, to restore reasonable political conversation that's what we need to do mm. it's so important there must be so there's a, a really interesting um podcast eric weinstein on joe rogan Okay. And Eric I've is, seen Joe Rogan's podcast a lot, but I haven't seen that. So that one. Eric is the uh, managing director of Teal Capital, Peter Teal, one of the PayPal Mafia's yeah. uh, companies. And he is fairly widely regarded as one of the smartest p- people, like public intellectuals on yeah. the planet. Um, and he has this really interesting point he makes about how um, the moderates on both the left and the right are allowing the extremists of that side to do all of the work for them. Yeah, exactly. And that by not shouting up, as someone who's moderate left and saying, hang on a second, that's wrong. Or by being moderate right and saying, hang on a second, that's also wrong. Like Charlottesville's, Charlottesville's wrong. Yeah. Whatever it might be. You are, he, he says it with much more nuance than this, but he says essentially you're supporting it by yeah. not, by saying, oh, well, you can, you can go out as the vanguard of your uh, particular political leaning. Yeah. Push them forward a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you, well, you can't shout shout louder than the lunatics, can you? That they, they, they do they do dominate, they really do. Um, yeah, I mean that's a very good. I think it's I think for instance in the case of Charlottesville, it's, it is quite important for people on that side of the debate to say this is wrong. Mm. To, you know, it's it it you know it's not right for Trump to suggest a moral equivalence uh, between people who are opposed to fascism and people who murder in the name of white supremacy. That's not that's not right. I mean the 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 anti fascist peaceful protesters I'm behind 100% what I'm not behind is the ones who don the masks commit acts of violence that's a very different drag an old man out of his car when they're trying to redirect him in traffic right that's a very different uh, it's important because I think peaceful protest is the way all the time peaceful protest and ridicule Um, but yes certainly so so, sorry to go back to the point sorry I've missed I've I've gone on a different Uh, the extremes extremes pulling in uh, for for the moderate people yeah well I think that goes back to what Bridget was saying doesn't it is that when a movement gets characterised by its worst elements, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. In the way that uh, Islam, for instance, has been mischaracterised by its most reactionary elements. 100%. Uh, you get the same thing here, where uh, suddenly you think of the left. I mean, if I say the left, what do you think of? You think of these screeching offence seekers, don't you? Mm-hmm. You think of the Purple hair. Yeah. You think of the worst... Well, actually, that's not what being on the left means, you know? It, it's... It, and... And that's a real shame. So I think, yeah, I think we need to restore moderation. I think we need to be, uh, we need to stop having fealty to ideology so that we can say, yeah, broadly speaking, my principles are left wing. But that, that, that you've just said, this right winger has said this interesting thing, which I might take on board and actually I might adopt as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and restore the nature of the individual. The individual is sovereign, as John Stuart Mill said. Like, it, it matters what you think. You have to, you have to be a free thinker not let other people do your thinking for you. Mm. Um, and that's where we've got to, where people don't, they don't do that anymore. Yeah. Like if, if, if you, if you were on the left saying you told me one of your principles, I could pretty much guess what all your other views are. And that should never be the case. Mm-hmm. You should surprise me now and then with what you think. Did you see uh, Jordan Peterson on GQ? No. This interview is fantastic. I'll send you it for you. For you oh Jay. wait, with Helen Lewis. Maybe it was a it was a one to one interview two hours long. Yes, they, I did. They sorry. tried to take me down. There was lots of yeah. Sorry, to take me down. It's got a really weird title. I totally did. Um, yeah, and totally in did. that she says 
she starts asking him these questions and he just starts laughing at her. Yeah. And he says, because your questions are ridiculous. From the first question that you asked me, yeah. I could have predicted every subsequent question okay. that you were going to give me. Yeah, exactly. And that's, exactly. That's, that's it playing out in front of us. Yeah. Isn't that sad? Like, and no one wants to be predictable anyway, you know? No. But I think... But that's what, I think that's what the left are trying to do here. Yeah. They're trying to go like, how... With how much fidelity can I become offended? Yeah. Like, with how high a resolution can I look at discrimination? Like, and, and continue to one-up. It's the point of personal privilege. Yeah. I get at this. Oh, point of personal well, privilege, you've used the word, guys. Like, it's the one-upmanship. I mean, I'm always a bit wary of that just because I don't like to guess what people are thinking. I don't like to guess people's intentions, you know? So, like, when we talk about virtue signaling, right, which is, I think, what you're referring to, um, it definitely goes on, Um you know, I mean, everyone knows this, so particularly politicians do this a lot. You know, they talk about, uh, they want people to know how upset they are about a certain thing or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but by the same token, I don't want to assume that what they, that they're doing that for the worst motives. I don't want to assume that about them, you know, but I, 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 I don't know. It's the problem of you having faith in people. It's the problem <laughs> of you. It's literally, it's the problem of you hoping for the best in people. And we do this well, all the time. It's partly that, but it's also that, um, I can't, it's a, it's that goes back to the thing about not playing by their rules, right? The one, the, the thing that I get all the time is people telling me what I secretly think. That's the one common factor I get it all the time. So, so people will say, what do they say you think? Well, so actually virtually all the major criticisms of me on Twitter, the people who really go for me mm. have decided that I have these secret racist thoughts that I have internalized homophobia, uh, that I, that I, they, I, I had one the other day about how I, I'm a, what am I, uh, I, I don't know. Like, who knows, right? All this yeah. stuff is like, um, you're a right wing, you're a Tory. I get that a lot, a Tory. I've never voted Tory. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah. They know that secretly I have. Mm-hmm. They know my secret thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. And then if I turn around and say, yeah, but you secretly think this, then I'm just reducing myself to their level. So what I will always do is take an argument at face value. I'm never going to assume someone's lying about their argument mm-hmm. for, for, for whatever reason. Because the argument will be demolished irrespective of the truth behind it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. you can defeat a bad argument whether the person is sincere about it or not. I understand. So that, I think, is a much better strategy. Um, and I'm sure there are people who are paid for extreme opinions, you know. Mm. I, I think we all know who we're talking about, right? People, you know, who will put extreme opinions out there because it gets them clickbait, yeah. you know. Um, but the argument either stands or falls on its own merit. It doesn't really matter whether they mean it or not. Mm-hmm. Um and also, you can't demolish the argument by assuming they don't mean it, because you've got no evidence for that. Yeah. That's just your speculation. You've got to defeat it on its own terms. Yeah. Or on its merit. Um, I'm going to bring up what I spoke to Zuby about the other day on the okay. podcast, which is Mario Lopez, the guy who played AC Slater on Saved by the Bell, which you never watched. So I never watched it. It's a shame, man. Honestly, it's a good TV show. Is it? Um, so Mario Lopez says um, this very, very over, over-pedestrian... Yeah. Um, Caveat after caveat, uh, very, very mild. I'm not sure if three-year-olds should be allowed to change their gender. Yeah. That's essentially what he says. Um, And then is annihilated. And a couple of days later, comes back with the most groveling apology. The comments I made were ignorant and insensitive. And I now have a deeper understanding of how hurtful they were. I have been and always will be an ardent supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. And I'm going to use this opportunity to better educate myself Moving forward, I will be more informed and thoughtful. Right. Well, every time someone does that, it gives more power to the woke movement, uh, and it gives it gives that sort of Twitter mob the the upper hand. 
because it means they know it works. Mm-hmm. It's like capitulating to terrorists. You know, once you once you do it, they know it works and they'll do it again and again and again. And we've seen it all the time. People are forced to apologise for things they said years ago. Mm-hmm. Things that probably weren't even that offensive. Mm-hmm. That's not offensive. That's an opinion. Mm-hmm. So, and if he, re- either he believed it or he didn't, right? If he believed it, stand by it. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's short, you can change your mind about stuff. In three you, days. Unlikely. <laughs> to that degree. What, of- what you're actually having is a lot of pressure from, you know, I mean, people can say to him, but maybe someone sat him down and said, oh, think about this, think about this. And he did change his mind. That's possible, mm-hmm. right? Um, even in that case, I would advise not apologising mm-hmm. because it just feeds the beast. Yeah. You know, I, we saw this with Kevin Hart and the Oscars for, for jokes he tweeted eight years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they were jokes. doesn't matter if they're offensive. They were jokes. I, I, I don't care. Uh, so, you know, again, apolog- but good for him. He didn't apologise. He said, I've already, he said, I apologised at the time. I'm not going to keep apologising for this. Yeah. You know? Uh, did, you, s- did you see the um, Liam Neeson thing about in February time yeah. where he said that his uh, close family member had been uh, sexually assaulted I did by see a this. black guy yeah, so yeah. he walked around his hometown with a kosh yeah. just going into black neighbourhoods hoping to find someone that was associated yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're like well hang on a second what's this guy supposed to say because yeah. I found although it's obviously quite a dark story yeah. I found it very very interesting I was yeah, like oh it, my gosh this is this is how would I feel what would, what would I do in that situation? How would I act in that situation? You're thinking about Liam Neeson, this guy with his yeah, really yeah. gravelly voice, walking around the dark streets of Ireland with this kosh in his hand. And I'm like, what an amazing story. Yeah, I can't believe he said it, actually. I can't believe he said that to a journalist. Unbelievable. And, and didn't think about the consequences of saying it. But there is something to be said for his honesty. Um, it's, but it's a horrible... It's a horrible idea that someone can be so traumatized by something they behave in such a vile way. Mm-hmm. And by his own admission, it was a vile. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, but the thing shock, to do. his own shock at himself. Yeah, but yeah. does that not like that sort of a thing educates everybody? Yeah, yeah, that sort of a story because I'm like, I've never heard anything like that before. Yeah, yeah, even in fiction, I've never heard anything like that before. And I think, wow. But what was really what, interesting? What was weird about that is it. I don't know why the woke movement got so angry about that because actually, what he was making was a really woke point. Because they believe that, that, that white people are essentially racist anyway. And so this was just sort of bolstering their view. So I don't know why they weren't happy about this, to be honest. But yeah, they went for him. It's an unforgiving. I mean, this is the thing about the whole, the whole woke thing is you can never, if you make a mistake once, you are tired for life. You can never be forgiven because it is a religion and they don't think redemption is possible. But so, that's why the Mario Lopez, you've got this window of whatever, like maybe yeah. seven days or something like that within yeah. which you can recant. Right. And as long as you do your self-flagellation over whatever particular TV station or yeah. press release it is that you do, then maybe you get... Right, but that, I mean, and the point he was raising is, a, is a, in a discussion we need to have, right? The question about gender is a discussion we absolutely need to have. Mm-hmm. So anyone who knows anything about gender and has read uh, sort of theories of gender, gender is not, as the woke movement claim, a social construct. It is a, a very, very complicated uh, combination of social and biological factors, right? And the problem is that their faith-based position about gender... Uh, has been has been adopted, particularly in Canada, for instance, by governments. Um, and actually, we need to have a much bigger discussion before these sort of policies are, are adopted. We need to actually talk about and decide whether they're right or not. It's not correct um, that that uh, gender is solely something to do with culture. Largely, I mean, certainly the, the obvious example is that you dress boys in blue and girls in pink, whereas in fact, you know, go back 100, 200 years, it was the reverse, mm-hmm. right? So those things are arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Um feminism second wave feminism spent years trying to break down the idea of 
of, of gender norms and gender stereotyping, right? What's wrong with a boy being effeminate? Why do you start questioning and saying, well, let's, let's maybe he's a girl. Mm. No, maybe he's an effeminate boy and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. What's wrong with a girl being a tomboy, being butch? What, mm. like what? Uh, do, you some... remember, do you remember tomboys? Yeah. Because tomboys haven't been around, as far as I can remember, for about 10 years. Well, well in fact, the recent uh, play of the, um, was it an Enid Blyton play? Was it Mallory Towers even? And they cast a, a je- um, non-binary actor to play the tomboy character. Okay. It was an Emma Rice production. No, this says, this says a lot. That it's almost like the concept of a, of a, of a butch girl is now something we don't understand anymore. Mm. No, no, no. That's a boy in a girl's body. Mm. This is deeply conservative, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's hugely conservative. I saw a, um, a documentary about trans kids where the, the parents were talking about their, they've, they said that we've got this little girl now and we're so happy because we don't have to watch our little boy mincing about like basically <laughs> like a little gay, right? So we fixed him. We fixed the problem, oh you know? And it, no, it said, it, it's, and, and without oh, any wow. sense of self-awareness. Or, but actually, that points to a very interesting thing about the trans debate, which we're not really addressing: is to what extent is this actually just a rehabilitated homophobia? To what extent is this just us fixing people into rigid ideas of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman? I remember seeing a debate between a performance artist called David Hoyle and Lauren Harris, who is a transgender woman, was formerly a man, mm-hmm. was formerly male. Mm-hmm. And Lauren said, when, during the interview, she said, uh, I always knew I was a woman because I used to buy lots of shoes, right? Which actually just is endorsing the most base, gross stereotype about women and commercialism mm-hmm. uh, that you can imagine. Women aren't all Amelda Marcos. You know, they don't have... That's not <laughs> what Walk it, in wardrobes. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're a woman just because you like to... I used to play with dolls as a kid. I'm not a woman. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. Um and so that's my big concern. That's what I would like to have. The t- I'm not saying that I know all the answers or that I have a full understanding of the situation. What I am saying is I've read a lot about it and I would like to have a serious, proper public discussion about these issues without being shouted at and called a transphobe and have someone hit me with a bike, bike lock and a, have a milkshake on my face. Well, being, <laughs> being able to, uh, being under the age of 16 and not being allowed to have sex, but being allowed to change your sex. Right. It's obviously a problem. Because having sex will last for probably your first time maybe about three minutes but <laughs> like changing your sex is for the rest of your life right it's it's a, it's a really serious you know but i've completely how's no one identifying this i have like, total sympathy with someone who, who genuinely feels that they are in in, in the wrong body of course and, i do um yes so 100%. so so to to suggest that to have misgivings about any kind of chemical intervention or puberty inhibitor of of a, of a child is not the same thing as being anti-trans rights. It should be, actually, the two are completely compatible. We need to have a serious discussion about that, right? Um, but we're not having that discussion. We're just throwing insults. It's really sad. I know. Um, so I wanted to finish with some questions for Titania, as if, how how would she answer? Right. Um, so I've That's got really some, hard. I know. You're <laughs> going to have to channel your do you know it's, it's hard though because normally when I think of an idea for a tweet yeah. I go off and walk for like 15-20 minutes and, and refine it oh do you yeah that's interesting except for last night when I just did drunk and whatever. firing away well anyway let's see, <laughs> let's see let's see how we get on alright um, number one I'm not an improviser that's don't worry that's fine number one are all cats feminists oh cats feminists she would suggest that feminism is the natural state <laughs> and therefore all animals are essentially feminist <laughs> She also believes that all animals are essentially vegan, but that they are socialised into believing that they should eat meat by our example. 
That's what that's what she thinks. Amazing. But there's a line in the book where she talks about her her vegan cat. Um and she says, Yeah, I mean she does chase birds around the garden, but I think she must assume there's some kind of flying vegetable or something. <laughs> and is that thing about she just projects projects her own ideas onto everyone else. But yeah. 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 Cats because feminism is a natural state. Cool. Yeah. Um speaking of vegetables, which is the most oppressive vegetable? I would say butternut squash. Why? I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think courgette. Really? Yeah, because of that sort of French-sounding G, which is how it's spelled in bourgeois. Actually, thinking about it, it's the aubergine because of the emoji. Absolutely. There we go. Which Thank is you. used to represent the phallus. We've 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 answered it. Yeah. Uh, male dogs. Yeah. Sniff the butts of males and females equally. Right. But only have sex with females. Does this make dogs prejudiced? Good question. That's not altogether true, though, is it? Do some dogs, dogs have sex some, with other boys. Do yeah, they? yeah, there are, there are, there are gay dogs. What about the ones that don't? They should be killed. Fine. Yeah. Fine. Well, actually, most dogs are polyamorous. Thinking about it, they have they, multi- they have multiple partners. They're so quite woke. They're they're pretty damn woke. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so Told you I can't improvise. It's, hey, we've got it. We've nailed it. We've okay. Got, we worked, worked out the vegetable and we've got cats and dogs. That's really Fine. that's the big three. All right. That is the big three. Is it? Um, so moving forwards now. Um, we are in the midst of Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. You've got the Titania live show. How's that been going? I love it. I love it. It's so much fun. We are dividing audiences, which is exactly what it should be doing. How many, is, have you had many people walk out? Yeah. We're getting how, it. How, how many people? I, I, I mean, I haven't been here for a lot of the shows, but Alice tells me every now, it updates me. Every now and then there's a, there's a moment where people walk out. And what's been interesting though is, well, people walk out of Edinburgh shows all the time, remember, right? Because they've got to get to other shows and things. So you can never be sure. Yeah. Um, and you can't assume they're offended. It's always after the same jokes, though. <laughs> well, <Right> after that. <laughs> Alice has had a couple of examples where people have been explicit about why they're leaving. Now, that rarely happens. Okay, yeah. Um, and there was one the other night, she said, the, the person on the front row just said, I'm sorry, I just can't, I can't do this, and walked out. And I think, like, look, I'm sympathetic with anyone who is offended by or upset, and I would also support their right to leave. Mm-hmm. I can be offended by stuff, and my, my view is I'll just leave. Um, I'm not going to start whinging about snowflakes and all this sort of stuff, like... We all get offended by stuff and we all know what upsets us. And, and, and sometimes it's best not to expose yourself to that. And right? everyone has different tolerances, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, it, the, the, the purpose of satire is to annoy people as well as to entertain some other. You know, you, you, you can't, it can't be, it's not being done right if everyone loves what you're doing or indeed if everyone hates what you're doing. You want to be splitting people. That's exactly. We, was, was that an aim when you were writing the? hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I knew full well that it would annoy people. I wanted it to. They have bought tickets though. Well, yeah, but a lot of people in Edinburgh don't know what they're seeing. Yeah, cool. that's that's the problem. You like, know the problem there. You've got two good street PRs. Like the street PRs are so effective. Like you've yeah. got these guys out, and, and they're I mean, unbelievable on, at their job. <laughs> on the other hand, I sort of want people to know what it is because I want people to enjoy it. I don't want people not to enjoy I don't want people to go to a show they're not going to enjoy. Yeah. I think the, the tweets are more designed to annoy the general public, yeah. you know, um, people who happen upon them and don't know who she is. Mm-hmm. That's funny to me. Um, but yeah, I think if you've invested money in a show, I'd like you to enjoy it. For sure. So um, I do, I have said to the flyers, can you just be honest about what this is? Like, you know, because... <laughs> If people are thinking they're going to see like a stand-up show, for instance, it's not a stand-up show. It's more like a play. If people think that they're going to see, you know, some feminist thing, I mean, it's obviously mocking contemporary feminism, Mm -hmm. 
you know, I'd rather people just knew and didn't. Yeah, you know. got their money's worth. Yeah, I think so. Um, but we're challenged for it. So yeah. you know, you've you've made a Twitter account, you've yeah. done all of this stuff, and now there is a living, breathing, one-hour manifestation of a Twitter account. Yes. Yeah. On stage in front of you at the Edinburgh Fringe for like what twenty nights, thirty nights. Yeah, 20, twenty-five shows. Yeah. What 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 does that? How does that feel? Does it just feel like this is the most 21st century thing that's ever happened? It's Yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? <laughs> and I certainly didn't expect it to happen. I certainly didn't. I didn't even know I was going to write a book. When I started this, Yeah, it, it wasn't that at all. Um, yeah, it's an odd feeling. And also because I know her so well. Yes. Um, and then you see this sort of version of it in the flesh. My has, friend, it cha- has it changed the way that you think about her, having seen it manifest sort of in front um, of you? No, I, I don't think it has, because during the rehearsal process, what we were doing is trying to get Alice's characterization as close as possible to what is in my head. Mm. Of course, it's not entirely possible. And of course, an actor will always bring their own interpretation to the role. So, um, but there's still this, this creature in my head who is a living, breathing thing, who isn't quite what's on stage, isn't quite, because, you know, that's a combination of, my writing and Alice's interpretation. It's something, I mean, my friends are a bit worried about me. Sometimes I, I, I sort of, I do talk about her in the third person. I do. Um, so if she's in the room. I, I sort of do. Is like, she your imaginary friend? It's not quite like that because I'm very self-aware about it. But what I mean is I have a separate phone for her for a start. Okay. The, um, largely because Twitter will ban you if, you know, you don't want the same phone for both your accounts. Because yes. if she gets banned, I would get banned as well. Got you. Twitter make you behave like a drug dealer, basically. You know? And so... Someone said to me the other day, can you tweet this from Tatar or can you retweet this from Tatar? I was like, I haven't got a phone with me. She, she, you know, it's at home. And I just said it. And she's saying, oh, this is worrying. You're now talking about her as though she's a, she's a real thing. But it's not a psycho. I know. It's not a psycho. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fully 100% self-aware. Okay. Um, but it helps to think of her as, because I, I start to think about the way she would respond to things, which mm. isn't obviously the way that I would respond. Has it got easier over time? Mm, yeah. I mean, um, I think when I first started it, so because I had to delete, I think the tweets are only there from, I, I went through a period of deleting everything beyond seven days because people kept mass reporting the tweets and that's how they do it to get you banned. Got you. Um, and now you I don't think, allow enough time for them to accumulate. Exactly. Or... I don't do that anymore just because I sort of don't care if I get banned no. at this point. I think it's um, to the stage now as well where you, you've been mentioned on the Joe Rogan show, like the, the absolute pinnacles of... I, of um... I'm fine with the ban. I'm, you know, I, I, I can do more. The character's out there now. Yeah. I can I can write articles I can write shows I can do whatever with it I don't need the Twitter account really but I enjoy it just I still I'm still going to do it I still enjoy it I bet you do um, but the early tweets were were not as I think they were just quite direct and they were you know because there's two types of tweets that she does there's the the joke tweets where she she tries to um, uh, expose the inherent contradiction of the woke way of thinking mm-hmm. and then there's the bait tweets where she says something so outrageous she wants people to res- to take it seriously. Mm. And those are normally the right wingers, the, the the Trump voters and people who take it seriously and get angry. Mm-hmm. So there's the two types of tweets, and then um, and I often get accused of, well, that's not that's not even a joke. That's just, and I was like, yeah, I'm baiting someone there. Yeah, you know, I, and uh, you know, when she says that you know heterosexuality should be eliminated and stuff like that, you know, and she says future generations will thank us if we do that. Mm-hmm. You you know that a lot of the people do get angry. Mm-hmm. And it exposes something about their anger as well. Yeah. You know, so I like having to go at both sides, to be honest. That's the point. It must be a fun playground to be able to have that. Um, so what do you think? What, have you got any idea what you think's next for Titania? Uh, don't know. <laughs> get, the, I don't... get the fringe out of the way. Don't don't forget your lines and your jokes and stuff for your show. Yeah. Don't need to, that, that would be bad. 
That would be bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's actually the, the stand-up show I'm doing next week is like a version of the show I toured at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it should be all right. Cool. I've got two days just to rehearse. Okay. Um, that'll be fine. Um, I hope. Uh, what next? I don't know. I don't like doing the same thing for a long time. So I tend to try and move on. Uh, I'm considering writing a book about politics at the moment, um, which I've been speaking to my agent about. So I might do that. It would be a serious book. I mean, I've, I like the idea of I've approached this sort of woke movement from the satirical side. Now I quite like to try it from the polemical has side. It, has it um, enhanced your understanding of politics like on a serious level, playing around and swimming in these sort of waters? Yeah, like- yeah. Well, I mean, for a start, I mean, I've, I've come from that background. I've always written about politics and I've always... Um, and I've come from a kind of woke background. I know a lot of woke people. So I've, I've sort of come from that that tradition and that, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, it always informs me to talk to people who disagree with me. Um, it always, you know, I, I that's what's so frustrating about so many of these people is they won't talk. They won't debate. They'll just walk away. They won't have the conversation. Whereas actually I've got, you know, we've all got a lot to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And even people who say things that I just hugely disagree with, it's great to hear what they've got to say. Mm-hmm. It's also been really useful to see the way that people perceive me. Mm. So, um, you know, I'm often told things that they I think, which I don't think, but that tells me that maybe I'm not being quite clear enough in, in how I express myself, yes. you know? Yes. One of the big things I get all the time is, uh, oh, you always go on about how you can't say anything anymore, right? Um, I've never said that. I don't think it and I've never said it. Mm. I can say whatever I damn well please and I do. Mm. Um, the point I'm making is that in the current climate that we live in, if I was still a teacher, for instance, I wouldn't be tweeting the way I am now because I'd be fired. Right. <laughs> Very quickly. So I think what is I am in a privileged position because I'm a comedian mm-hmm. and I can say whatever I want mm-hmm. and I can get away with it. But I know that if I were to go back to teaching now, I could never get a teaching job anymore. Mm. So they just do a cursory Google search and I'm, I'm over. Right. Fact, yeah. I mean, when I was a teacher, I had... Uh, parents complaining because they'd Googled me and, and read some of my jokes online and they complained to the head. So it was already getting a bit... Touching. Yeah. yeah. So um, so it isn't that I'm saying that we can't say anything anymore. What I'm saying is most people who are in normal jobs, uh, not fake jobs like what I do, right? Normal jobs, they feel under pressure to not joke with their workmates. They feel like they have to restrict their jokes to encrypted WhatsApp conversations because yep. if they are heard and misunderstood mm-hmm. or taken at face value, which is a common thing people do with comedy now, then they're going to lose their jobs. That is a dangerous climate to be in. We had it with Bridget's article. People are afraid to express opinions online. People who email me saying, I like your stuff, but I'm not going to say it publicly. Yeah. So we are living in, indisputably in a culture where people are self-censoring routinely now out of fear of either what... what uh, your peers will say what the what the people on social media are going to do to you because remember their tactic is often to try and uh, stop your livelihood you know go after go to your employer complain to your employer do mm. really pass re- it up the chain until yeah. they find a weak link or people are afraid of the state you know in the uk we have a horrible situation where we have we have hate speech laws that have led to people being imprisoned for jokes they've written on facebook actual jail time right Const- uh, constantin kisses says that uh, in all of russia Every person that was jailed, I want to say last year, mm. um, because of jokes they made on social media, 400. The UK, 3,000. He's talking about arrests. Arrests. Not, 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 no, jail for jokes is very rare, but it has happened. Cool. It should never happen, by the way, but it has happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, arrests, investigations, it's over 3,000 in this country and 400 in, in Russia. That tells you an awful lot. Um, hate speech laws should be abolished. 
absolutely clearly. People should be entitled to express hateful views if they want to. That's not to say I support those hateful views. I absolutely don't. But what you've got to think on balance. What is better here, right? I'd love to live in a society where everyone was nice to each other and no one said these horrible, ghastly things, right? I'd love that. Mm. That's not the real world. There are some awful people out there who say some horrible things. But is the solution to that to give the state power to lock people away if they don't agree with what they say? Because that's where we are. You've got to think about it in balance. What's the bigger picture? I'd rather live in a free society where I'm going to hear some idiot on a street corner shouting about how I should go to hell because I'm gay. I'd rather hear that, right, than have a situation where the government can say, well, this is no longer acceptable. So now we're going to investigate and arrest you for that, which is what's happening. You know, the guy got uh, investigated in Humberside for retweeting a poem about trans issues. Right, he got he got investigated. But the, the police phoned him up and said, we've got to check your thinking, right? And that should never happen. But it's happening as a matter of routine. And we know this because when people complained to the police about it, they said, but this is just common across the country. If you go on the government's um, hate crime legislation website, it will talk about non-crime hate incidents that are logged as part of the hate crime statistics. So when you when you hear about these hate crime statistics, you've got to remember that a lot of them are people phoning the police saying, someone someone called me gay and I'm upset about it. And that gets logged. No, in, no investigation needed. It's logged. Because if that person perceives that it was homophobic, that's it. It's really worrying. And it is. It's not authoritarian in the way that the, you know, fascist Italy was authoritarian. But it is a kind of creeping authoritarianism and it has an authoritarian aspect to it that needs to be resisted. And we shouldn't be complacent about this stuff. Mm. But the problem is no one wants to address it. You're very right. You are very right indeed. Moving forward, last thing. What what are the uh, two most likely routes that you can see us going down in the over the sort of next couple of years in terms okay. of in terms of how the discourse is going to mature? Okay. So I've been asked this question before. The truth is I don't know, obviously, because I'm not clairvoyant, but I do think we are reaching a kind of tipping point, right? Well, you've got, so the, 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 the woke activists are the minority and that's the consolation we should all take. They just, just a have, very loud one. It's not just loud, they have power. Mm. And that's what's dangerous about them. I mean, um, they're mostly bourgeois. They're mostly privately educated. So they tend to occupy those roles in society where they are opinion forming, you know, they, they, they overly dominate the law, uh, journalism, the media, the arts, um, all of these sorts of areas, universities, certainly. So you end up in a situation where they are dictating uh, the, 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 the sort of common discourse, right? But the, pro- but the problem is they're a minority for them. This is their problem. They're a minority and people aren't buying it. And the more they push it, the more people push back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I hate the, the idea of, of dismissing millennials or the millennial generation. Most millennials think this is bullshit, right? It's, it's, it is the minority and particularly student activists, the type of kids who end up in student politics. They, they tend to be, you know, quite narcissistic. They're quite, so they're not, they're not representative of the student body, but everyone else is, they just want to get drunk and have fun and they, they'll go along with it. They'll be like, okay, we won't applaud. We'll do jazz hands instead. If that, you know, if that, if that makes you happy, we'll just do it for an easy life. Of course. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's not the norm. And then, you know, and people grow up, of course, and they go beyond that. What worries, what worries me? I mean, I personally, I blame my generation. I think it's generation X that fostered this stuff and caused this stuff by indulging it. Mm. Um, but so what will happen, I think is, and particularly generation Z, I mean, the millennials are getting old now, right? Mm. They're, they're, they're past it now. I mean, this is the 96. You've got to be born after 96. I'm only just not a millennial. 
Yeah. Like people, people forget this. Like the the millennial generation is it, it's had its day. I mean, all the statistics seem to suggest that Generation Z are are, are pushing way back against this stuff. They've got no time for it. Mm-hmm. You don't even get that that that. You know, I think that's what's going to happen. So, and and maybe they're sensing their power slipping, and that's why they're getting more and more aggressive. Yeah, that's what people do when they're when they're threatened. When their power base is threatened, they start getting being shrieking even louder. Yeah, and so they won't go down easy. Um, but they'll never win because they just don't have the numbers. Uh, and and this stuff is totally unpersuasive. Um, so is the is the main well, look, fear longer term that this causes the backlash from the right? Uh, well, that is a fear, yeah, and that's why that's why we have to we have to take this woke movement down as quickly as possible mm-hmm. because that's a genuine fear that 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 could happen. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think how we get I don't I don't know. The truth is I don't know. Maybe they will dominate mm. and and. Who knows? I mean, that would be a terrible culture be an to live awful, in. Awful, awful day. Yeah. But I'm. I like to think that most people are sick of it. Most people are gonna are gonna fight back against it, and things will change for the better. But that's me because I'm an optimist. That's what I think will happen. I like it, Andrew. Thank you so much for coming up. I've really enjoyed it. Um, the Edinburgh Fringe Show. By the time this goes up, we'll have seen whether or not you've you've had any catastrophes on stage. But I'm no, I'm nothing. I mean, that. yeah, we were worried. We thought oh, some idiot's going to come along and throw milkshakes or anything. Nothing like that's happened. Absolutely great. Well, I'm going to bring a milkshake. I'm going to bring it to drink to your show on Tuesday. Yeah, actually, do, well, throw it because actually that'd, that'd be good publicity. That'd be it? great publicity. But <laughs> I, I also don't want to be ousted on Twitter by Titania McGrath and a four hundred thousand. That's true. Followers or whatever it is. Um, links to everything that we've spoken about today, uh, including the articles, uh, Andrew's Twitter, Titania's Twitter, um, everything else will be in the show notes below. If you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a like, give us a share. Definitely give Titania and Andrew a follow. They're absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate you coming and seeing me, man. Thank no, thanks so a lot. Really enjoyed it. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you.